Blog Talk Radio. From Brooklyn, New York, it's Blazing My Radio. Tonight on the show, author of my unofficial second-to-last will and testament, Robert Biederman, plus monster skin author, Melanchthon Hawks, and now, Canadian astronaut, Ryan Holmes. Monday, May 13th, 2013. Checking out your smoking nest, your Blazing Rye on the ones and twos. Joining me tonight on Blazing Rye Radio as my co host is the grand return of the one and only Broadway medic, Tamika Kidd. Tamika, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fine. Long time no chat. How's, how's things? How's tricks? Things are going uh, well. I've been uh, at Harlem Hospital with uh, the EMS and FDNY down there, or up there, I should say, uptown. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, they, I think I probably caught a cold from them, so if I sound funny, uh, it's okay. But it's not like Ebola or nothing like that. <laughs> you know, I just learned that a lot of people uh, die as a result of getting an infection in the hospital. Uh, isn't that weird? You know, the hospital is a place where you go to get better and then uh, it, it just, whatever's in the air is. there will kill you? Well, the thing is, it, it's a, obviously it's an effective way to get well, but if you're vulnerable, sometimes uh, things just get a hold of you. So that's the best way I can put it because even when um, there's a gentleman who rides the subway, we call him Rasputin, he's usually off the end <laughs> out here in New, in New York, but he smells uh, like death. Picking <laughs> up someone like that, you you know you know that you're going to be vulnerable to some of the things that he has because your immune system is only going to take so much. I don't know how that man still exists on this earth, but every time someone picks him up, you know he gets better and then just keeps going. So you know the common cold or allergy season, it's going to affect you either way. Oh, Lord. Rasputin, yeah, right? huh? That's, that sounds like some character. Yeah, Rasputin. That's what we call him. I'm almost certain you've probably seen him but did not know his uh, subway name. <laughs> um, so the you you also have a, you want to mention a show in Queens, coming up in Queens, do you? Yes, uh, some friends that I helped shoot uh, their show. It's called The Kong Show, and it's going to be on your favorite, Time Warner, on uh. channel, I believe, channel 34. It's QPTV uh, this evening at 1030, and it's called The Kong Show. Uh, some friends of mine, Ella and her wonderful husband, Pal, they do this show, and I've helped them with it. it, it, it it's a fun show just to take your mind off of things. And they have uh, Dave, who is a wonderful bartender, at, if, if I can mention, Cronin and Phelan's out here in Astoria. Um, he's a magician and comedic talent, or comedic talent, 
and then a few other folks that they have coming up on their show. So I just I suggest you check it out on Q P T V thirty four. Oh, okay. I thought you said channel three or four. I'm like, damn, you plug in the show, you don't even know what channel is on. No, 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 no. Q P T V thirty four on your favorite Time Warner. Uh <laughs> it may be it may be different for other cable holders, but um it's Queens T V. So, you know. Take it from awesome. there. Check that out. So, Tamika, let's get to some panel topics. Today just seemed like a day mired in controversy. Uh, you had the – well, first off, the, you got the, the IRS apparently was uh, tar- targeting um, conservative groups when looking at tax-exempt applications. Uh, what, what do you make of that, Tamika Kidd? I think it shows how our country is – evolving to the extent that the IRS can actually be held accountable because everyone thinks that the IRS is, you know, your um, your button-down point, but they actually have flaws as well. You know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. – everyone has faults at that point. And if the IRS is getting called on some stuff, then, hey, it almost seems to me like you're you're looking at this as a good thing. I yes, I would because who's not going to have an opinion about certain things? And if the IRS is now being held accountable for their particular uh, political decisions or their employees of what they're doing, then why not? <laughs> and let's move on to the Associated Press. Uh, the Department of Justice obtained phone calls uh, made by the Associated Press to the Associated Press over a two-month period. Um, do you uh, – the the AP is saying that that um, severely violates their constitutional right to uh, uphold the news, to deliver the news. What do you think, Tamika? The Associated Press is going to speak on what they need to do. I um, I don't really want to. It, it's a trivial point. I, I won't even. I, I, there's nothing I really can say about that. Okay, fair enough. And uh, another thing uh, that's going on with, with the government, uh, Benghazi. This. Uh, the attack on September 11th in Benghazi uh, has been brought up, uh, brought back up recently. Um, it was, you know, months ago. Uh, it was confirmed that no wrongdoing was done in the Obama administration's handling of um, the aftermath of the attacks. And yet, three days ago, this gets brought back up. Uh, some people say that it's being brought back up now because. Republicans are anticipating Hillary Clinton's uh, presidential run in 2016 and thinking that maybe this is something that they can get her on early. What do you think? I think that people do not want Hillary Clinton to run, which is, you know, their opinion. I also am not a conspiracy theorist person, but I really think we need to know what happened with Benghazi. And also, if some if somebody or something got messed up, at least admit to it 
and then keep moving forward in a progressive fashion. The more I hear mm-hmm. about it and the more I read about it, Benghazi sounds uh, a little special and off-kilter of what this administration has tried to portray. And I think, at least in my heart, I think if our president knew that it was that serious of an issue, then he may have taken further steps to secure those people that lost their lives, unfortunately, in that incident. Otherwise, you know, it's something that happened. I think the longer that people keep saying, oh, nothing happened, nothing happened, the longer this, you know, plays out. If someone just says, okay, we forgot or we weren't uh, completely clear on the facts, which I've heard, you know, I'm a news junkie, so I've heard that, uh, I think it probably will go away, but we also still need to know what happens. So our U.S. embassies around the world are, you know, protected correctly and something of that nature. I just, Benghazi was a very unfortunate um, incident. And if it uh, stops Hillary Clinton from running for office for, you know, the president of the United States, then that's okay. But I think everyone needs to just come clean and be like, okay, well, we knew something was going on, but we didn't act appropriately. And, you know, it's just in life. You learn from your mistakes. Obviously, that was that may have been a huge mistake at some point, or they just didn't anticipate what was going to happen. That's the best way I can think about it. Because it bothers mm-hmm. me that we keep talking about Benghazi. We've got everything else going on here, but Benghazi is an interesting... Uh, point of focus because it's the like in, I, I can't recall how many years but one of our ambassadors from the United States was killed and that is a huge you know moment for the United States security and their embassies yeah you just said people need to stop saying nothing happened nothing happened but I don't know that anybody is saying nothing happens are they? Well, in the beginning, like what we heard, we all heard, you know, whether what news agency, agency you watch, uh, it was about a film that supposedly mm-hmm. upset some people, and it went from there, and then when you got the full story, um, you realized that, okay, maybe they were targeting the U.S. embassy there. Um, and the closest support was in Tripoli, so I, I, I don't know. And I, I'm i not trying to be judgmental or anything like that. I just, I would rather hold judgment on the fact when we find out everything, then let's move forward from there. But listening, I will say this, listening to the recent testimony of a gentleman, I can't think of his name right now, a gentleman who got a phone call from the uh, ambassador in Benghazi, who, again, has passed away, saying that they were in trouble, that right there is troubling. And I Uh wish someone would uh, investigate it and just find out what happened or, you know, what what was going on. Because obviously it wasn't over a film. We know that. And someone just happened to hit that place at 
the right time, at the wrong moment. I, and that's the best way I can think about it. Because it hurts to think that, you know, if you or I were in a U.S. embassy somewhere and we're calling for help because we know something is about to happen and we get no support. So that is, I would have to say, the troubling part about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk a, a little bit about um, something that comes up every few years. Uh, <laughs> another uh, uh, pilot season? Guy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what, what did you say? I said pilot season, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's every year. Um, but uh, another man has come forward stating that Michael Jackson molested him as a child. Uh, this is, you know, the, every time something like this happens, seems to be every every few years, maybe like once or twice a decade, um, I get this, this just awful feeling. And, uh, <laughs> and now let me find out it's the guy that, allegedly uh, cheated on or helped Britney Spears to cheat on Justin Timberlake, that choreographer, Wade <laughs> Robson. Uh, Tamika, what do you think about that? Well, you know, I, I'm a Michael Jackson fan from way back. I even wanted mm. to convert to Jehovah Witness uh, because, you know, he was. <laughs> I don't... I don't it, <laughs> I, I don't put too much stock in all that. Mm-hmm. So I I understand a lot of people are coming forward, supposedly coming forward, but in the same context, how much, you know, even us talking about it, get some of that 15 seconds, you know, the hell with the 15 minutes, 15 seconds of fame. So I don't even, <laughs> I don't, I don't even worry about that. You know, there's a, there's a quote in one of George Carlin's last books that uh, says, Michael Jackson is the greatest entertainer of all time, period. And he talks about, like, Frank Sinatra, forget about it. Elvis, no way. And then he's like, I say, give Michael a bunch of kids and let him dance the night away or something like that. So how about that? Hmm. Well, (laughs) I mean, I don't know too many grown men that have – Children at their homes. So, but in the same context, not too many grown men were Michael Jackson. It's it's beyond me. I I don't want to. You ain't never lie. Yeah, I I can't. (laughs) I'm sorry. Well, let's let's move on. Our first guest's new book is called My Unofficial Second to Last Will and Testament. It's available in paperback from. Amazon.com and is newly available on Kindle, and it's hilarious. Please welcome to the program Robert Biederman. <laughs> Rob, how are you? How's it going? You, you forgot to mention now banned in China. Oh, right. Oh, no. <laughs> Hello, Rob. Now, is it just the book that's banned in China, or are you banned from it, uh, entering China as well? <laughs> you know, I have not uh, found – there's only one way to find out, I suppose. I'm going to have to book a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> book wow. a ticket to China. I, um, I, so... I have to say, for, 
a friend yeah. just told me this yesterday that uh, she tried to buy it and it wasn't available. And so apparently it's either banned or they're just indifferent towards me. But one way or another, I'm missing out on about a billion sales. <laughs> Probably. Because they got a lot of people over there. So, Rob, this book um, <laughs> is a very uh, new, interesting, unique idea uh, for a book. Uh, what gave you the idea to write my, sec- my unofficial second to last will and testament? I think there there have just been so many stories on the news or, you know, kind of in these, uh, like on CNN.com or NBC News or whatever, about people with these really strange requests. And it used to be someone would would want to be buried, um, you know, in their favorite team jersey. And that was kind of interesting. And over the years now, that's evolved into the guy doesn't want to just be buried in his team jersey. He wants to be positioned on his couch holding a beer while highlights of the game are going on and it just started thinking well how crazy can we make some of these requests like what what is too far and then can we even you know push push beyond that and find something even funnier <laughs> and you very much accomplished that in this book uh why do you think because this is a morbid topic why do you think you wanted <laughs> to take death on head on and, and make it funny well i think you know what, what else are you going to do with death you know, I think either you make death funny or death makes you funny. It's one, it's one or the other. So uh, exactly, exactly. You know. Kamika, I know you're chomping at the bit to ask Rob a question. <laughs> well, I, I, it's funny because I was thinking uh, recently. I had to uh, answer a few questions about what people would do with my remains. You know, and it's, if you see my uh, Facebook picture, it says. We're all going to die, but I got a helmet on. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it's making light of what takes place with your body afterwards actually makes sense. And how did you come up with this particular project? I think, well, first you, you come up with the idea. And I, I tend to, like most people, you just throughout the day, you think of something and you think it's really funny, and then you come back to it a day later and you go, oh, well, that wasn't really anywhere near as funny as I thought it was. <laughs> and you know you've got something when the next day you think about it and you go, oh, no, wait, that is funny. And then you just think, you know, can I build on that? And so, you know, I, I'm not a lawyer. I didn't know what goes in a will, so I just started thinking, you know, well, I'm Jewish, so sitting shiva, you know, that has to be part of it. And we have to have, uh, you know, I have to spread news of my death, and we have to, we have to give away all my earthly possessions. Um, you know, how do we dispose of the corpse? There's a whole, there's a whole chapter here of disposing of my corpse, which mm-hmm. is very enlightening. And then, you know, again, it's just how can we build on a joke? So it's not, it's not as much for me to be cremated, but I have to be cremated, and my ashes have to be separated into four. Um, tiny Fabergé eggs, and those eggs have to be handcrafted by Russian elves. <laughs> and fed to goldfish, right? Uh, they are fed to uh, to goldfish. Uh, my former lovers have to get a goldfish and feed my ashes to the goldfish, which and I guess in form- hindsight you would... Former, former lovers. lovers? I wouldn't do that to a current lover. <laughs> Wait, are you saying your the goldfish were your lovers or their only? No, the, <laughs> now, now we're in uncharted territory. Right. Let me ask you something. I read that yes. these goldfish are going to have to eat your remains, but they're also to be kept on a strict vegan diet. Uh, yes. Those two don't seem to go together. Well, I don't know. Once you're burned, I mean, I would think it, that doesn't make it vegan. 
I don't know. I, I'm just like, how it works. Cow on the street right now, and I burn the cow and eat it. And then I'm 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 eating a cow. Are you sure about that? Oh, no, gracious. because I would never think about that. <laughs> oh, 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 sorry. Okay. How, Rod, how are you going to eat the? Uh, more more importantly, how do you plan on eating the cow that you've just burned? Is it, are you just going to have a spoon? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, I'm gonna have to put the cow remains in Faberge eggs made by. Oh, don't take, that's my hey, that's my death. You do your own death. Yeah. The tiny, the tiny Russian elves can only make so many Faberge eggs. Faberge eggs. With okay. Uh, when you go. when you said just now, Rob, that you have you have thoughts throughout the day and you think they're hilarious, and then you realize maybe they weren't that funny. How many times a day do you think that happens to you? Oh, I'd say you know. 15 times a second. I don't know. It's it's pretty constant. You do a lot of daydreaming here in here in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. Now, you dedicate the book to Angelo. Who is Angelo? Yes. Angelo, um, all kidding aside, is a, is a, was a, a, a very good comic out in Los Angeles who uh, I had the pleasure of knowing. Um, and he was a very funny guy, and he was a good guy. And he was kind of one of those comics that everyone um, that knew him kind of loved him, and everyone who knew him thought he was their best friend. Uh, because he was just that kind of open and, and caring and sweet guy. And uh, I found out, uh, I don't know if it was a year ago, two years ago, uh, he was killed by a drunk driver. Uh, so uh, he's someone who is, uh, yeah, on my mind, and uh, hopefully he is uh, he is laughing at this somewhere. Certainly hope so. Um, that's, that's a beautiful dedication. Uh, you go on um, to talk about, uh, when the news of your death is to be spread, you want uh, seeing eye dogs to spread the news to your family. Uh, wouldn't it be easier to just get somebody to, to tell them? Well, that might be easier, but, you know, I think we gotta we got to aim for the, for the fences here. You know. <laughs> Look, I, I don't know about you, but growing up, my mom always said I was special. So... I want uh, the most special. And by the way, I love dogs. I love dogs. So any chance mm-hmm. I, I can get to uh, to give a seeing eye dog work, because it's either that or go blind. So I, I'm not really ready to go blind. But if they can spread news <laughs> of my death, that is something uh, that the, that the dogs can do. You mentioned NBC needs to cut into its most popular sitcom uh, to let people know about your death. It, um, if God forbid you were to, you know, drop dead in, I don't know, you know, like uh, 50 years from now, what do you think that sitcom will be? I'm assuming they're going to bring Blossom back. That I t- that's always been my assumption. <laughs> okay, wait, stop, don't do that. Don't do that. If anything, Webster, maybe. Although the other day I was watching Good Times and I missed that show. Was Good but Times no, an not, not show? Not Blossom. Though. I know, but I feel not like Blossom. Good Times was CBS. <laughs> I don't know. Ryan well, well, actually, come to think of it, what what is NBC's uh, most popular sitcom now? Do they still make sitcoms on that? I don't think they have one. You know, and that's why. And that's why. That's change. They've gone through a huge change, and this is even though I'm a medic and I work out here and been here, I started off at, at in TV at Warner Brothers. And they have gone through a huge change, which is interesting because they've canceled almost half the shows that people actually watch. Mm-hmm. Well, 
you know, they, they have a history of canceling things and switching things around. Um, and Rob, is, is the office still considered a sitcom since it hasn't been funny in years? <laughs> well, it is, it is, it is dying sooner than me. That's for sure. It is, uh, it's got one episode left. <laughs> Thank God. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, hung on just maybe a little too long. I hope I don't hang on like that. I hope <laughs> they, they're in the drooling years, that is for sure. <laughs> you mentioned Sarah multiple times in your book. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with your neighbor, Sarah. My my cute upstairs neighbor, Sarah, I have to uh, uh, settle this because many, many people have come up to me and uh, asked about her and asked uh, how she feels about being mentioned in the book. And I should I should be totally honest uh, with your audience here. Sarah does not exist. I do not have a cute upstairs neighbor, Sarah. Um, although I always... I always have to specify that I have not always known all of my upstairs neighbors throughout my time. So it is conceivable that I could have had an upstairs neighbor named Sarah and that she could have been cute. <laughs> all right. Wow. Fair enough. Okay. okay. Just put her put her in the wheel just in case. And why did she be uh, honored at Northeastern University? I believe it's a fine institution. And, uh, you know, it's, I'm, it's in the Northeast. It's in the Northeast, and I'm from the Northeast. So I think that alone, um, I, I don't know how many people would qualify uh, as being from the Northeast. I, I can't imagine there'd be a lot of us. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think they can uh, they can find the time to uh, to honor me. Did, did you go there or something? Uh, no, I've, I've never even driven past it. But I still think it's important <laughs> that uh, that I be remembered. I'm sure I've touched somebody from that campus. I mean, what do they have, like 10,000, 20,000 people? By touch somebody, do you, what do you mean by that? Uh, you know, I probably pushed them out of the way to get on the subway one, one point or another. <laughs> oh, okay, because I was wondering, you talk about charges. You were just talking about not. Michael Jackson, weren't you? Yeah, we were. <laughs> um, and you do talk about charges against you being dropped by the attorney general after your death. What what crimes did you allegedly commit? Yeah, under consultation uh, by my lawyer, I am not allowed to discuss that anymore. That is, I've, there's a gag order on that. Wow. Okay. But it was a crime. All right. Of what? It was a crime of passion. You should know that. A crime of passion. Did it have to do with those goldfish lovers of yours? Uh, no comment. <laughs> um, so, Rob, you talk about being embalmed in Kettle One Vodka, and you talk about how during your life your friends made fun of you for not being able to hold your alcohol. I believe um, you're one of those friends, actually. Yes, and I've witnessed many, many a time when uh, it takes about an hour for, for you to drink any beverage, even non-alcoholic. So what's the most alcoholic drink that you've consumed in one setting, do you think? The, mo- the most number of alcoholic drinks or the actual most alcoholic drink? <laughs> no, the, the actual number, like how many? Okay, because I was, I was going to say in college, I remember we had a little thing called Everclear. And I have oh, some... Yeah. Everclear, I remember that. I'm going to age <laughs> myself. I, I seem to have a memory one morning uh, in the AM of, of drinking Everclear and chasing it down with Zima. I don't know how... I know that's <laughs> not a cool thing to admit. Zima, yes! Oh, my goodness. That was before Zima was like recalled. That was back when people were were buying Zima. But uh, I'm not sure how I lived through that. Mm-hmm. That probably answers both questions. I can't imagine I drinking think... more than that. 
But I don't think any of us know how we lived through that cause because Zima, you could actually put, well, at least Long Beach State in California, we would put it in a uh, Canada Dry can so it wouldn't get busted in the dorms. So, yeah, I understand that. <laughs> I, I can't imagine getting in trouble for having Zima. I think I might just have gotten laughed at. <laughs> Rob, that might have been the worst no, that ever happened. I have no idea what the answer to that question was. How, how many drinks do you consume in one, how many, one sitting? How many? You know what? I, I can actually think I can answer this. I, in, I was in London. I was, I was studying mm-hmm. in London, and oh, I wasn't boy. a big beer drinker back then, as opposed to now, apparently, when I'm, when I'm such a big beer drinker. But I, so I, I turned to <laughs> the next best thing there, which was hard cider. And they sold cool. some, some cider. It had to be about 32 ounces, and it was like 7% alcohol. And I brought yeah. that to a party, and I drank the whole thing, and it did not end well. And wait, say, wait, I, that was the last time I've ever drank cider. I cannot, I can't go wait, near it now. Wait, wait a second, is that? Are, are you stealing that story from me? No, 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 that happened to me. That happened to you because that, when I was in London, studying in London, on on I what were the, the odds that both of us have been to London? How could how could that have happened? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe are you gonna, next next are you going to tell me that we both got drunk in London? Because I don't believe that either. <laughs> <laughs> well, not only that, but what I did was, and you probably had the same thinking. I went into either Safeway or Sainsbury's, and I just needed the cheapest Safeway. thing possible. Uh, so I go and I find this four pack of cider in a can, and yeah, it was like seven something percent alcohol. Safeway. So I go to this, I go to this party. And I'm drinking. Tamika apparently finds Safeway hilarious. Uh, I'm, I'm, I go to this party and I'm drinking these cans of cider. And the way I'm thinking about it, it's only like I'm drinking four beers. But no, because when I, I drank the four ciders at that party, but then when I go home that night, I was in and out of the bathroom all night puking my guts out. I, you know, I will say this. That I do know that the bottle of... Uh... I would say I was going for the cheapest cider, but I know it was under like two pounds. It actually weighed more than it cost. I know, I know that. Um, and uh, it was a rough night for me. It was, it, it got overshadowed because my roommate had a rougher night. We came downstairs and a book. He was passed out on the couch, and the bookcase had tipped over and was just propped up against the wall just above his head. That was pretty much preventing him from being crushed while he slept. Thank oh God, that is an intense night. Uh, you talk in your uh, will about having a restraining order from Chuck E. Cheese. Is it just because you like pizza so much? There was an incident with me and a bunch of tickets uh, a long time ago and uh, and a broken skee-ball machine. So that's really all I want to say about that. Okay. I would hope, I would hope they would have moved on. I was only six at the time. So I that's would... all you have to say about that with that large yeah. talking rat. So <laughs> <laughs> the rat actually tried to come to my defense. It was a, it was a, it was a noble effort, but the judge didn't uh, do it that way. It was always Safeway. Go ahead. <laughs> you talked in your will about uh, the the actual ceremony, which is to be conducted in in England, actually. Uh, and you yes, say you want synagogue. right is. Now, I know Westminster Abbey. Is there a Westminster Synagogue? Oh, there's got to be. <laughs> there's got to be one? There's got to be. I mean, weren't the Jews were there first, weren't we? <laughs> you, you talk about wanting to The Old Testament comes before the New Testament, so there's got to be one. 
You talk about wanting Lou Ferrigno at your ceremony. Why? I would love to have Lou Ferrigno. Do you watch The Celebrity Apprentice? <laughs> that guy is royalty in his own right. <laughs> have you ever made him angry? <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever made him angry, but I'm sure when I die, it's going to make him sad. Yeah, yeah, well, you don't as, want to make as him all, angry. As, as everyone, as everyone. As everyone. Your uh, your will also implies that you cook chili with toenails. Is this true? Uh, was that? Did I actually write that? You implied it. I did. I implied it. Um, no comment. <laughs> I'm gonna have to let me call the editor. I didn't realize uh, that made it in. Let me. Uh, all I know is uh, you cannot take the trophy back. <laughs> first place. Right, first so place. We're going to play a game that we always play on the show. I will give you, Robert Biederman, a list of things. You tell me if they're hot or a hot mess. The game is called Hot or Hot Mess. Are you ready? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so waited for this moment. <laughs> Wait, am I? I just have one question. Open it. All right. First up. On hot or hot mess, we've got uh, the Barclays Center. Is it hot or a hot mess? The Barclays Center. Oh, I'll say mm-hmm. I'll I'll go hot. Oh, okay, you're not one of these these haters. No, why are we hating? The Islanders are going to play. I'm excited. I've noticed there's a lot of people in like the Park Slope area, which you once lived in, that that are kind of like. I was at a comedy show one night, and they were like. I mean, this place is terrible. It's like the Barclays Center of of comedy clubs and stuff. Nah, I, I mean, if why. they open the Barclays Center in, you know, in the park, you know, I could I could see that as a problem. <laughs> <laughs> there was no before they opened it. It was a construction project for like thirty five years or something. So it's not like it's not like people were having picnics on that site before they opened it. How about Mexican music? Hot or hot mess? Oh, that's a hot mess. <laughs> Oh, you you were so quick to slam that one down. Yeah, I feel like you knew where that was going. <laughs> um, how about loud neighbors? Hot or hot? <laughs> um, yeah, that that could be a hot mess. But I, I wouldn't know anything current, about that. <laughs> your current neighbor, hot or hot mess? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say that's a hot mess too. My my current neighbor for like two more weeks. Um, what about, I think you'll know this, uh, Marathon, Hot or Hot Mess. Are we, now, which marathon are we talking about? Are we talking about the New York Marathon, or are we just talking about uh, a Syracuse Marathon? We're talking about Syracuse Marathon. Oh, that is hot. Well, can't that be both? Isn't the, hot, yeah. isn't the fact that it's a hot mess just make it hot? Yeah, you can, we often have what we call hot, hot messes. Oh, I like the sound of that. I do too. <laughs> I like it's kind of like <laughs> sweet brown is kind of a hot hot mess, or all right, uh, just, Justin Bieber is kind of a hot hot mess. Uh, yeah. Although according to Tamika, she still yeah she still needs some work. I agree <laughs> with that. I'm with Tamika on that one. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, and last up on hot or hot mess, Michelob Ultra hot or hot mess. Wow. That's the most. You know what? That's the toughest one. I. 
I'm going to give Mikhailov Ultra uh, some love. I'll say it's hot. Nice. I don't give it any right. money, so I might as well give it some love. Well, maybe we'll get some free Ultra now. Um, and well, let me know where be... to pick mine up. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rob, you have the the Brits play I Saw the Sign by Ace of Base many times at your funeral. Uh, did you hear the news? Like It was just like two weeks ago that came out that one of them was a Nazi. No. Are you making that up? Yeah. No, it was, it was like two or three weeks ago. It was on like the Today Show or something that one of the Ace of Base members was a Nazi. So do you still want their song Wait, played at the funeral? They were an actual Nazi or were they like a neo-Nazi? I don't know. All, all I just heard a snippet saying she was a Nazi. I don't know. I don't know what kind. Well, you know, that, I have to say that's very disappointing. Uh, that, that's very, that's, uh, that's, Man, you know, go figure. We're talking about my second-to-last uh, will and testament, and the saddest part is finding out that someone in Ace of Base was a Nazi. That, that's rough to hear. I, the only thing I could say, and I might need time to reflect on this, but the only thing I could say in the spur of the moment is uh, they can just play the recording of the song. They don't actually have to let the Nazi into the synagogue. <laughs> and they could, always, they could always get the song from, like, BitTorrent so they don't actually have to spend any money. Wow. Uh, on the band. Wow. You went there with a... Okay. I can understand that. Okay. So I, I just looked it up, and it says uh, he... I guess it was the, a guy, Ulf Eggberg, a founding member of Ace of Base, started his career as a neo-Nazi skinhead. And then it says, not only that, he created a platform for his ideals through his Nazi punk band. The band was called Commit Suicide, which sang songs with explicit racist lyrics. And wait, wait, wait. Then they give the, me... Nazi, the Nazi punk band was called Commit Suicide. Yes. How, that, doesn't, that, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. What, what good does that do for the Nazi punk band? Don't, isn't it like kill other people? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I would try and decipher it. Because if all the of the Nazis Nazi committed suicide, we could have avoided a war. <laughs> you okay. may never lie. Um, I'm done with this conversation. <laughs> uh, Rob, in your in your will, you talk about uh, how you believe you should be nominated for the Nobel Prize. Why do you think you should be? Well, clearly, anyone who's listened to this conversation knows the answer to that. <laughs> because you just solved the world's problems just now. I believe so. I, ju- I think I just ended World War II. But it already happened. They, um, well, the first of all, we don't know if the uh, the Nobel Prize Committee knows that or not. Uh, second of all, <laughs> the book doesn't say that um, I should be nominated. What it says is that various members of my family are to check with the committee to find out if I have been nominated and if for mm-hmm. some strange reason the answer comes back no they are then to call and ask are you sure and if it's still uh not a yes uh they are to continue to keep calling using various fake european accents um until they get the answer they like (laughs) so you're pretty much a a shoe-in then i think eventually you know i'm gonna win one way or another bad for you uh, you, in your will, you bequeath your Twinkies to your great, 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 great grandchildren. Is this because Hostess has gone out of business? <laughs> Absolutely. 
Actually, in fact, I've been thinking maybe I'll just sell those on eBay now. <laughs> but then your great 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 grandchildren won't have them. No, they will still have, no, still have my still find them at Safeway, apparently. Oh, is that where they are? Yeah. <laughs> I was too busy buying a, that cider, that four pack of cider. Yeah. And the Safeway is apparently hilarious, I understand. Um you, Rob, you leave behind to somebody a skateboard that you don't have. How does that yes. work out? Um, it's very simple. Someone's going to have to buy her a skateboard. I think more people should do this. <laughs> That'll leave items that you don't actually possess. I, I think I think that's the way to go. I mean, I, why worry? Why should you worry if you have that antique jewelry or that sports car or those savings bonds? I mean, you're dead. Let somebody else worry about that. <laughs> Don't you, you have enough uh, to worry about, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You talk about um, get Debbie Gibson 8-tracks in your will. Did you actually have those, and why not? <laughs> I have to check. I have a box of really old music. There's a Peter Cetera something uh, in a box. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I forget what format it comes in, but it would not surprise me if it was an 8-track. <laughs> And you leave a Bible uh, to, your, to our friends at the Westboro Baptist Church. Why? Yes, uh, because theirs are apparently filled with a bunch of misprints and typos. <laughs> um, in your will, you uh, you make people keep, this is for the sitting shiva section, you want yes. uh, your loved ones to endure a week of hell, and you, you make them keep the Kesha Pandora station on. Now, is is this really the worst we can do? Can we think of some some other option? It's, I'm glad you brought that up. It's it's actually not the worst we can do. I just figured they've already gone through so much. We we can we can let them enjoy something at least for the week. Mm-hmm. They do have to watch movies that prominently feature Paulie Shore. So you know we're not we're not uh, we're not going too easy. On I guess Shore. between the two voices, the Shore and the Kesha, uh, that is quite cacophonous. Tamika, would you agree? That is amazing in, in a nutshell. To have Polly Shore, Debbie Gibson, and a few other things, that is absolutely, absolutely amazing. I, I feel like I we've don't... entered another decade. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, you mentioned uh, Night Court and Moesha, Rob. Are those your favorite shows? Those, those are two of the best. <laughs> and they'll be playing in your mausoleum? Uh, yes, they will be at my shrine. They will be uh, – actually, they, they don't permanently play. What, let me just see. Sorry, hold on a second here. I don't remember what the exact – yes, what happens at my shrine uh, is that there's a small stage next to my portrait, uh, which is pretty big, uh, not the stage, the portrait. And pilgrims who come to my shrine, uh, they are encouraged to mine their favorite episodes of Night Court and Moesha for my viewing pleasure. They don't have to mind the commercials. They can just do the 22-minute versions. Yeah, but Moesha. Oh, so so wow. it's like you're getting it on Netflix instead of Hulu. Exactly. And these, you have a lot of uh, quotations on the back cover of your book from some very famous dead people. Tell me about those. Uh, well, apparently my book's a hit. I mean, if you just read these, there's some pretty popular people who uh, who 
really had some some glowing things to say about about the book I wrote, and I, I have to say I wasn't expecting it at all, um, and I'm very touched. I'm very touched. Uh, were there any in particular that 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 struck you? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Kim, Kim Jong Il said you, you were a little excessive. Yeah, I, I thought that was kind of a dick move by Kim Jong Il. But wow. uh, the funniest part about that is about one out of every three people who looks at that uh, kind of makes a face because they know they're supposed to know who he is, and they kind of admit they go, "Who, who is that again?" And I have to, you know, remind him it's the it was the dictator of North Korea. And it makes you wonder how crazy his son is. That it's only been like a year and a half, and he has out-crazied his father already. Crazy. That people are actually forgetting crazy. who he was. Very crazy. <laughs> Very crazy. And uh, how about you have a quote from, from Death himself? Yes. Yeah, nothing like, uh, nothing like getting some, uh, some praise from the man downstairs. <laughs> and Hamlet? Uh, I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is, but um, he seemed impressed by the book. So, uh, you know, I just figured I'd roll with it. But, um, see, you know, I hope, I, I guess he's a nice guy. So you're just throwing random quotes from de- dead people on the back of your book without knowing who they are? Well, they took the time to write in, so that was the least I could do. <laughs> I also read a quote on the back of your book that says, um, finally, someone who appreci- someone else who appreciates Robert Biederman, quoted by Robert Biederman. Yeah, what a guy, huh? What a guy. <laughs> that guy. That guy's the tops. Well, I, I hope, Robert I Biederman. I hope he's doing well. <laughs> uh, uh, well, uh, you, you've certainly, uh, you're certainly appreciated by me and Tamika. And Aww. tell me yeah. where people, what is the best place to go on the internet or wherever for people to purchase uh, your book? Well, on the internet, the easiest place to go uh, is Amazon.com. We finally uh, got this up on Kindle. So you can buy the paperback or you can buy the Kindle. The Kindle version, we're keeping it cheap. Uh, it's only 99 cents. So that's like half the price of a, of a pack of gum. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's as good as a pack of gum, but it's cheaper than a pack of gum. So I think for the value, uh, I think you're getting some really good there. Um, in person, those of you who live in Hollywood, you are in luck. I am happy to announce that my book is currently being sold at the Museum of Death uh, at Hollywood and Gower. So if you're in the neighborhood, you've got to stop okay. in there and say hi to the good folks uh, running the Museum of Death and purchase a copy. Wow, that's awesome. You that are awesome. in the Museum of Death. The Museum of Death, because really, where else could this book be sold? And in Hollywood, so that's okay. It is a match made in heaven, and I do mean heaven. (laughs) (laughs) All right, check it out. My unofficial second to last will and testament by Robert Biederman. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for doing the show, buddy. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, sir. We'll catch you back on later. Take care. All right. Our next guest, uh, Tamika, are you ready for this? Yes, I am. You know I am. Okay. <laughs> Our next guest is an author from Brooklyn whose new ebook is called Monster Skin, a spooky bonsai mystery. Please welcome to the program Melanchthon Hawk. <laughs> Melanchthon, how are you? I'm pretty good, Ryan. Thank you. Thanks for the, the fake applause. Yeah, and any time. 
so what do, what do people, that's a, quite a unique name. Uh, what do people call you for short? Mel, Hawks, Hey, Asshole, you know, the, the <laughs> things, bartenders. Wow. Do you mind if I call you Mel Hawks, Asshole, Bartender? You can, yeah, I mean, that will eat up a lot of time, and uh, that might help me out on my end. Hey, hey, Mel, this is Tamika. I'll just call you Mel. I'm not going to call you asshole, because that doesn't sound right. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. <laughs> so tell me, that that is a unique name. Um, did, did your did your parents name you? I mean, well, I guess they had to. But uh, where did they get the idea from to call you Melanchthon? Um, well, it's, it's Greek and we are not Greek, uh, but it, it means black flower. So they, they obviously thought highly of me when I was a child. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know why. I just fits. I like it. Looks good in the book jacket. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, now you talk a lot in, uh, Monster Skin about... Uh, rape and sexual freedom. Um, some disturbing stuff happens to a 16-year-old character in the book, and uh, then she plots her revenge against the culprit. Um, and then uh, another girl and her friend uh, uncover uh, Black Ops' plot to sterilize the Middle East. Now, tell me, what made you decide to put these uh, topics about sexual freedom and rape into your your novel. Uh, well, it's it's sort of a it's it's a sexual odyssey in a way, and um, you know it, it is it's based on events that do occur, and I, I think that there's no way to talk about sex without talking about both sides of the coin. Um, Mm-hmm. And I, I think that if you're going to talk about the free expression of sexuality, you also have to discuss how it is being negated. Okay. And uh, Tamika, I know you're chomping at the bit over there to ask a question. Uh, I don't really have... Well, I, I do have a question, but it's more of a an affirmation of what you have said, that the freedom of sex along with the negation of what takes place sometimes. Right. I mean, just just to give a, a bit more depth to it, the, the book is about a 16-year-old named Spooky Bonsai who is uh, raped on her 16th birthday by her stepfather, Mm-hmm. And she vows to kill him, and she is distracted from her mission uh, when she is uh, caught up in this large web of conspiracy um, to of a black ops government plot to destroy libido in the Middle East. Mm. What is and- it? Uh, Sorry. idea behind the uh, U.S. government plot to, to destroy... Are they trying to stop people in the Middle East from, from breeding? Uh, right. Well, yeah, yes. It, it takes place 
during 2005, um, actually a particularly what is thought or has been quoted as being the worst week in Bush's presidency, the last week of October um, 2005. And, um, yeah, the, the idea or the, I guess, the evil theory is to is uh, to prevent breeding, to stop a whole bunch of people from being able to exist. Yikes. Uh, another topic that you focus on in uh, your novel is the the use of psychedelic drugs to treat uh, trauma, uh, people who go through uh, depression, addiction, etc. Um, <clears throat> there's uh, this drug that the kids are using these days, this, this MDMA. Uh, now, I know my friends, they, they use it when they go to see Avicii in concert, but in your book, they're using it to uh, help her uh, spooky bonsai calm down after she was raped, right? Right. Um, it, it's used actually pretty early in the book. Um, MDMA is administered to spooky by another character named Sugar Dubois, who is a uh, sex toy queen of New York City. And she... <laughs> uh, you know, there's been a lot of research into MDMA recently, and it was originally uh, synthesized in, I believe, the 1950s and was used for quite some time uh, purely as therapeutical, as a therapeutical tool, um, and it I, I don't know when exactly it was scheduled as an illegal drug, um, and then it came back uh, with a pretty big resurgence in the late 80s as a party drug. But it, its its primary use was therapeutic, and I think it remains therapeutic. I, I think that the reason it works as a party drug is because it's uh, allows for a dissolution of ego, and uh, you know it, it's it's called an empathogen. It's not necessarily a psychedelic drug because it doesn't you know trigger hallucinations, but it's an empathogen in that it allows you to be receptive to yourself and to other people, and so it, it's it's being uh, studied right now for its use. Um, to treat post-traumatic stress disorder. And there, there's a number of universities throughout the U.S. that are actually treating um, soldiers who have come back from Iraq and Afghanistan. And um, it, it has been looked into as a treatment for uh, victims of rape as well. Now, Mel, do you, would you advocate that this drug is used to... Um, uh, to, to be thera- to, to be used as therapeutic on people who have been raped as a way of uh, as as you do in your book you you use it as kind of a a way so that uh, spooky bonsai doesn't have a, a cynical view of sex from that point on in her life and I'm sure a lot of people who are raped um, definitely have 
a negative view about any sexual interaction probably for a long time after that. Do you think that sure. uh, are you supportive of the use of this particular drug to uh, to be therapy in that regard? Um, yes, absolutely, and and with the caveat of um, I have never been raped, you know, so I I, I cannot mm-hmm. say what works for other people, but I have used it and I have seen what it does for someone who uh, has only experienced very minor trauma and it is greatly therapeutic and and gratefully, greatly beneficial. Uh, Kamika, you're, you're a a medic. What what do you think of uh, MDMA in general? Well, again, as an EMT, uh, I have not become a paramedic just yet because uh, uh, paramedics are licensed to administer certain opiates, and I have not done that. But understanding the drug interaction, it with MDMA, it, it worries me a little bit of how you may lose your inhibitions. And with the psyche of that, also reminds me of the MK Ultra scientist uh, tests that have taken place. I, I, are either of you familiar with MK Ultra at all? Yeah. Okay, so I am not. That, no is. Okay, well, that worries me a bit because we've seen, to some extent, what happens with that. Well, but so, MK Ultra was a weaponization of psychedelic drugs. It was not an investigation into psychedelics as a therapeutic measure. It was... was What they called a weaponization. Well, that was, I mean, I believe that was the ultimate goal, was to look into it as a means of mind control and, like, truth serum and, and, like, kind of looking into its behavior on soldiers in the field, not trying to help them deal with stress. I, 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 I hear what you're saying, though, and... Um, yeah, it it, it I, concerns I, me, that's all. Uh, you know, no harm, no foul, it just concerns me that... Uh, <laughs> you mean it, it concerns you even if it's being used in a clinical setting? No, it just, uh, in general, just on our society, because we have so many other things going on. When I hear about things like this, and, you know, I I have not ever taken MDNA. I think the strongest thing I've ever done might have been mushrooms, but Mm -hmm. it was in a pasta sauce, so that's okay. But it just, for the recovery of victims of rape, which is an extremely violent crime, I I would hesitate to direct them to do that. Having no experience with it whatsoever. I'm sorry, what did you say? Having no experience with the chemical whatsoever. Right. Right. At, the, at, the, at this point, yeah, I would say that. Now, obviously, more research has to be done, and that's okay, 
but it, it just, I mean, not to go too far off topic, we're dealing with uh, the news recently what took place in Cleveland with these three or four women, or three women, I think, and, you know, having survived the atrocities of rape and actually giving birth and all that other stuff, I can't imagine even prescribing something like MDMA to the woman that actually gave birth to a child in captivity just to help her get through it because it just doesn't, I don't know, it just kind of clouds the reality of what happened, even though we all know what happened to the best of our knowledge, but that just seems a little far... I don't think it's about clouding reality. I think it's about being strong enough to face reality and 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 you know whether okay. it's whether it's drugs or not that's that's what that's what it takes i think to heal is to face fear and to face yeah. something that's that's horrible and and it's not something like a psychedelic therapy is not going to be the end of the line but it allows you, or at least the theory is that it allows you to be able to face reality. I understand. No. I, I get that. I get that. That that part uh, I'm comfortable with. It's just you have to do it, uh, prescribe it to someone. You're taking a, a, a huge responsibility in doing that and praying that that person is able to come to that breakthrough. Sure. But um, I think any any type of therapy, any any actual help that is attempted to uh, to give to people who have suffered through something horrific is is important. Instead well, of Lincoln, just, you talk about uh, in your book, uh, conspiracy theory is discussed a lot. Uh, in, in your chapter, Logos. Uh, tell me a little bit about that and why you decided to uh, include uh, that in your in your book. Well, I mean, the, the a ma- major plot point is uncovering a large conspiracy that goes up to the, the heights of power. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't want to give away too much about it, but I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm fascinated by the idea of conspiracy in general um, because I think it's <laughs> I think it's laughable not to feel like there's something funny going on mm-hmm. um, one of one of my favorite books is a book called Libra by Dom DeLillo which is about um, the Kennedy assassination which is sort of always fascinated me and the conclusion that he eventually comes to after looking at um, it, it's, it's a fictional book but he he looks at whether Oswald was the shooter uh, whether it was mob motivated whether it was politically motivated by outside groups um, and, and he what it really comes down to in his mind is that it is a universal cosmic conspiracy and and I think that's that's sort of the joke 
of of living to me is is that it, it comes down to um, everything sort of comes down to a set of coincidences and mm-hmm. the the more you look for a certain type of occurrence, the more they tend to bubble up, even as as simple as something like learning a new word for the first time, and then you'll suddenly find out that people are saying the word around you constantly. It's in the song that pops up on the radio. It's um, it's what an author named uh, Robert Anton Wilson calls uh, a reality tunnel. And so the idea is that we all live in our own reality tunnels that are formed by our own opinions and our choice of things to believe in or disbelieve in um, or disbelieve without, I suppose. And uh, that forms the basis of your reality. So the wider your reality is and the wider your acceptance of phenomena are the more options appear to you. Wow, that's deep. And you also talk about um, cruel and unusual punishment uh, seems to be a a big theme in your book as well. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it's not so much a big theme as sort of a result of actions. Um, And I I don't want to... I, th- I think what you're talking about takes place at, at the very end of the book, and I'm, I don't want to totally blow it, um, mm-hmm. but it's it seems like it seems to me a lot of the time that uh, punishment doesn't quite fit a crime, um, especially in the the case of something like rape, which is what the, the kind of the instigating act is in the book um, is that you throw someone in jail for 20 years doesn't make up for potentially an entire I mean not even potentially it, it, it any crime but specifically a sexually violent crime just completely tosses off the trajectory of someone's life. And it's clear that the threat of jail, which can sometimes be, you know, like a five-year sentence for something that just ruins a person, devastates more than just one life, uh, it's it doesn't quite add up. So I... Yeah. I, I, I like to think of constructive uh, and often hilarious punishments. <laughs> um, what do you think a, a hilarious punishment would be? Um, well, I don't think that rapists should be allowed to have sex ever again. I think mm-hmm. that if you if the threat of uh being caught for your crime equals losing your dick <laughs> then 
maybe people will actually be more aware of the way they act and the choices that they make. Yeah, <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, and in your book, Monster Skin, Melanchthon, you use very uh, explicitly sexual language. Um, it gets very intense. Is that uh, is that just your writing style? Is that particular to this book? It's, you know, once again, it, it goes back to writing a book where sex is one of the main themes. Um, I want to be sexual. I want to allow the reader to be sexual and experience uh, sexuality in all its greatness um, because it's it's a gigantic use of energy in I think everyone's life and 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 it's it's a it's a power kind of like chi in a way. It is a chi um, that you can learn to access and utilize for good <laughs> instead of uh, instead of subjugating people with sexuality and, and using uh, sex to oppress. I, I think I think the basis of getting along. It really starts with being able to have good sex and feel good about those kinds of interactions with people. So I, I, I wanted to, uh, at, at most, I wanted to uh, arouse positive sexuality within people and also point out that it can get ugly and weird sometimes, and, and you have to be able to identify which is which. Well, along those lines, I read that you used to work as a video editor for pornography. Tell me about that time in your in your life. Um, it's uh, an <laughs> odd but formative time in my life. Uh, you know, it's a uh, it, it's you come up against that thing. I don't know if you've ever experienced this while watching some type of adult material where it's uh, titillating at first, and then after a certain event, it becomes uh, awkward and kind of animalistic and and uh, and strange, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, definitely influenced my writing, I would say. Um, working on films such as Tit for Tat and Inside Sandy Dix, starring Sandy Dix, Cockermancer uh-huh. 4, Pork in the Pie. <laughs> that was a whole series, uh-huh. Pork in the Pie 1 through 4. One through four. Uh, Tamika, you used to work in post-production in L.A. Did you ever work on any of those films? Uh, My neighbor actually was a uh, porn producer, and I lived out in the valley, the Great Valley of San Fernando Valley in California. 
And um, I did get to work on a few of those uh, camera work because uh, I wasn't into that on the screen. But it, it's it's <laughs> special, and, and I understand the uh, animalistic part of it uh, as a healthy straight woman, yeah, I enjoyed porn as well, but at some point it, it just uh It's just know, meat and sweat. <laughs> yeah. And, and and I and I say this with uh full candor of your book going over rape and over porn, which are obviously two different subjects altogether. But yeah. I can appreciate the the, uh, the the project that you put forward with your book, and having people say, "Okay, this might be a black ops thing, this might not, what have you." Um, so you know, I I get it, but yeah, it's it's a little special once in a while. Yeah, I mean, did you just admit that you were a, a camera I, I, person for I, pornography? I don't know what you're ta- I don't know what you're talking about, sir. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. I'm not embarrassed. I'm a Scorpio. Okay. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm not embar- I am not embarrassed at all. Come on. It, no. It just you know it, it's um once, and once everyone's an adult and, and once everyone's an adult and everyone agrees to what's taking place, then you know, it it just gets different. Exactly. Uh, I'm sorry. Exactly. I'm sorry. I, I think I'm that's, sorry. that's I where it's beneficial is is to let people be adults and and attack this thing as adults who can admit to enjoying things. Right. In, instead of being sheepish, because you know it's, right. life's too short to be sheepish about the things that are pretty Pleasurable. much. <laughs> yeah. And, well, one of the best parts I'd say about being alive on Earth. Yeah. I I I, I mm-hmm. understand. <laughs> I, I, I I understand. It's just I think uh our society you know what? If the United States had a full on problem with porn, we probably would not have a problem with guns. Because yeah. people would be too busy Thinking about or, playing or, with or, other guns, or <laughs> like a lot of people, a lot of women, we have said, if guys had tits, and I can say that because it's you know this radio station, uh, you, you know we wouldn't even see you guys because you'd be too busy. So I mean, yeah. well, I, I, on the back I, of I'm, the I'm paperback okay edition of my book, which does exist, it's not just an ebook. Uh, on the back of the paperback condition, it says, fucking is the road to world peace. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, and people have made jokes about Clinton all that time he was in office. We weren't really at war. I mean, he had Monica and a few yeah. others that we probably don't there know There should about. be a, pleas- a presidential fluffer, whether it's a male well, president or a female I, president. Someone will correct me. I forgot who said this, but blowjobs and late night pizza never sent us into war. Damn. So, I, <laughs> I, I just, you know. I who, think that was knows? Churchill. <laughs> <laughs> now, 
Melanchthon, on your copyright page at the start of the book, it says, uh, sections from The Cow, Call of Chutlu by H.P. Lovecraft, Cthulhu. which is widely considered to be long to the public domain, have been reproduced with respect and adoration. But you put adoration in very small font. Why is that? Uh-oh. Did I? <laughs> Uh-oh. Hang on one second. Uh. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm, that may just be the an issue on the ebook version that you're looking at. The print version. Oh, so it, it wasn't all the same. It wasn't a dig. No, it was, it was not a dig. H.P. Lovecraft is uh, uh, very influential and pretty <laughs> important to me. <laughs> you might want to straighten that out then. Yeah, um, you you may want to take that up with my publisher. <laughs> uh, so where can people go to buy the book, lastnightonearth.com? Um, actually... SpookyBonsai.com is the best place, uh, S-P-O-O-K-Y-B-O-N-S-A-I.com. Um, you can pick up the paperback there or any version of the ebook. It's also available on Amazon and Kobo, uh, but would much prefer it if people went to SpookyBonsai.com because it is... Uh, all the proceeds go directly to me, <laughs> to be blunt, and the publisher, nice. but mostly to me, um, which is much nicer than Amazon taking a gigantic bite, which is how they stay alive, and I respect them for that, but give it to the author. That's All right, well, go to SpookyBonsai.com. Before we go, uh, Melanchthon, we have a mutual friend, uh, Devin Tansham, and... Uh, I uh, had a dream the other night that was just, uh, it was a nightmare. And what's weird about it is when I he started reading, that you. <laughs> when I started reading uh, your book, uh, it talked about uh, sh- shoes, right? Somebody lost their shoe at the start of the book. Um, and in this nightmare the other night, uh, I was at Devin Tansham's apartment and he was living there with a girlfriend. Uh, does he have a girlfriend at the moment? Uh, he has a wife, very beautiful wife. He's married. A little too married for my preferences. <laughs> okay. So I was there at his his apartment, and there was a girlfriend there. Uh, it didn't appear to be a wife at the time, but uh, and I was there with Jason <laughs> Selvig, uh, and... And for some reason, Jason Selvig was talking in your kitchen to Sweet Brown um, of, you know, ain't nobody got time for that fame. Uh, and I, at some point, had lost one of my sneakers uh, in uh, De- Devin's apartment. Um, and I spent the rest of this nightmare looking for one of my sneakers. And I think Devin and I had the same uh, pair of sneakers, and I couldn't tell whose was whose. And then I put the wrong ones on, and then the the rest of this nightmare was me trekking through Brooklyn uh, to find the proper shoe, and I had to go back to your uh, to Devin's apartment, and I had to go back again, and I was looking on the subway, uh, and it was really, I don't know how long that dream was, maybe it was like two minutes, but it felt like it was like five hours long. It was all about a shoe. 
Yeah, that's a very genius wow. dream. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I apologize for for Devin's behavior. He, he's actually my publisher and is responsible for the <laughs> small lettering of adoration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to take it up with him. Um, okay, so go to SpookyBonsai.com. The book is called Monster Skin. It's Spooky Bonsai Mystery. Uh, Melanchthon, thank you so much for joining the program this evening. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Take care, sir. Good night. Bye. Have a good night. All right, that was Melanchthon Hawks. Um, Tamika, uh, yeah. this this Charles Ramsey character, uh, the guy who found the girls that were kidnapped in Cleveland, uh, have you have you seen him? I have seen his picture, and I know people are talking about him that he's better than Sweet Brown. But I, you know, God bless him because he helped somebody when they needed help. Well, don't get it twisted. Nobody's better than Sweet Brown. That's right. for sure. <laughs> Let's uh, be clear. Nobody's I better do, than Sweet Brown. <laughs> but I do think he is pretty amazing. Um, yes. And, I do too. Uh, I think if you so you have not yet heard his nine one one call or the interview. Oddly enough, all the news I take in, I did not hear that. All I knew is that those folks were safe. So no, but you got it. Okay. Okay. So what I'm going to do for you, I'm going to play the uh, interview that Charles Ramsey gave, and I'm, I want to get your reaction <laughs> afterwards. Uh, this okay. is the interview he gave with the local Cleveland NBC affiliate. Here we go. Hey, Charles, Charles, let me talk to you. I'm talking with Charles Ramsey. He's a neighbor. Uh, t- walk me through again what happened this afternoon. You, were, you, you heard screaming. Heard screaming. I'm eating my McDonald's. I uh, come outside. I see this girl going nuts trying to get out of her house. So I go on the porch. Okay. I go on the porch, and she says, help me get out. I've been, I'm, I've been in here a long time. So, you know, I figured it's a, a domestic violence dispute. So I open the door, and we can't get in that way because how the door is, it's so much that the body can't fit through, only your hand. So we kick the bottom, and she comes out with a little girl, and she says, call 911. My name was Amanda Berry. Now, did you know who that was when you when she said that? When she told me, it didn't register until I got to call the 911. And then I'm like, I'm calling the 911 for Amanda Berry? I thought this girl was dead. You know what I mean? And and she got on the phone and she said, "Yes, this is me." And the detective uh, Cook, right here, Detective Gregory Cook says, "Charles, do you know who you rescued?" I said, "I said." Now, and when did you see? When did you see Gina? About 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 five. Good. So about five minutes after the police got here, see the girl Amanda told the police, I ain't just the only one. It's some more girls up in that house. So they went up there, you know, 30, 40 deep, and when they came out, was just astonishing because I thought they were going to come up with nothing. I figured, I mean, whoever she was, and like I say, my neighbor, uh, you, you got you got to, some big testicles to pull this off, bro, because we see this dude every day. I mean, every day. How long have you lived here? I've been here a year. Okay. You sure come up, bro? Right. I barbecue with, with this dude. We eat ribs and, and whatnot and listen to salsa music. You see what I'm coming from? And you had no indication that there was anything going on. bro, not a clue that that girl w- was in that house or anybody else was in there against their will. Because how he is 
is I just, he just comes out to his backyard, plays with the dogs, tinker with his cars and motorcycles, goes back in the house. So he's somebody that you look and you look away because he's not doing nothing but the, the average stuff. You see what I'm saying? There's nothing exciting about him. Well, until the day. <laughs> what, was, what was your reaction on the girls' faces? I can't imagine to see the sunlight to be Bro, around. Bro, I knew something was wrong when a little pretty white girl ran into a black man's arms. Something is wrong here. Dead giveaway. Dead giveaway. Charles, thank you very much. Dead giveaway. Thank you very much for your time. And either she homeless or she got problems. That's the only reason why she ran into a black man. Charles, thank, thank you for being there, man. Charles Ramsey, neighbor, heard the screaming, took action, went and did what he needed to do. The rest is unfolding before us here on CMR. I'm going to send it back to you. <laughs> Hey, he he said a lot, and God bless him. And, and you know, it just he he said a lot. He said a lot, and that was good. And, 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 and you always say, Ryan, he ain't never lied, because that. Charles <laughs> Andy ain't never lied. He ain't never lied. So that that as Forrest Gump would say. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> all right. Well, Tamika, uh, I thank you for joining the program tonight. I can think of no better way of ending the show than by saying if it ain't showbiz, it ain't a biz. Hit the brakes, Florence. Remember to tune in Wednesday at 9 for the new Blazing Ride Backstage program. Um, and if you have a Barbie doll, what are you going to do with that doll? Unfortunately, with that particular doll, uh, you would bend her backwards and take off all her clothes besides her drawers and then burn her nipples on the stove, which is demented, but yes, some people are normal and demented, and set her hair on fire and then cut off her feet and your mother finds it and worries about your safety but realizes that you actually are normal. And it's okay. <laughs> Wait, did you did you cut off the Barbie's feet as well? Oh, I didn't mention that part before? Oh, dude, yeah. This past Mother's Day, I was thinking about uh, what my mother found and how worried she was. And uh, it, she's no longer with us but in heaven. But it, I just I thought about her alarm and the look on her face when she shook that Barbie in front of me asking me that I do this. And I said, yes. <laughs> like I say, again, I'm normal, human, healthy, young woman, halfway, and I'm also a medic, so it's okay. It's just sometimes you go through it. That's all. That, that's the best I can put it. Sometimes you how, go through how, it. And how did you cut the feet off? With a knife? No, no, uh, with a toenail clipper. I know exactly what I did. <laughs> I know. Okay, I'm done with you tonight. (laughs) And then Ralph Peterman used those toenails, those Barbie toenails in his chili. (laughs) No, I cut the feet, the front of the feet off. So it's okay. (laughs) But but that's all right. Again, I know what I did, and it's a wonder that I actually help people. So I, I thank our wonderful guests that we have this evening. And also, if I can put this quick plug in for the Kong Show at, at uh, 1030 
QPTV channel 34. Watch that. I did some of the camera work. You will not catch me on camera because I have uh, worked in porn and cannot have my face on camera. So we'll go from there. What? Right? You get to know a little what? bit, a little bit more about me every day. Oh Lord. Well, I can't wait till next time when we uncover more information about that new fact. <laughs> so it's not even worth it, my friend. It's okay. <laughs> All right. But your guests were very good and intriguing. That was uh, wonderful. <laughs> All right. Uh, I hope everyone had a good listen. Um, and uh, as always, catch us on the iTunes. We'll be available in podcast form in just a few minutes after the show. Good night, everybody. Bye.